2: Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, May 4th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host on Challenging the Rhetoric. Welcome to the show. There was no show last week, so if you've been searching the archives, rest assured you're not crazy. Well, maybe you are because you do listen to my show after all, right? So you've got to have a little bit of insanity there. Uh, tonight I am bringing back, speaking of insanity, I'm bringing back the guest who made the cyber world head explode a few weeks ago when he was here last time. Arizona 3% leader Mark McConnell is going to be joining me here again tonight in just a little bit. Mark is with Ammon Bundy and Brian Cavalier, or Buddha, as many people know him, during their arrest, the night that Lavoy was killed in the what we call or know, as the hashtag# Oregon Standoff. Um, we are going to briefly cap off what has transpired between his last appearance on the show and being here again tonight. Uh, I do not want to go and take a whole bunch of time on it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it after this. Uh, But there's a couple things that we need to uh, recap on. So, uh, you know, Mark and I, we have some more pressing things that we want to really talk about, things like cows and what their role was before, during, and after the the standoff and and who was talking to who, when, and why, why were they talking, what was that message. We're going to be discussing the occupiers' leadership tiers and the language that was used by them. Um, We've spoken a little bit with uh, both Mark McConnell and Melvin Lee when he was here uh, before about some of the verbiage that was used, uh, a recent interview by Harney County Sheriff David Ward uh, speaks of the same language that came from Ryan Payne, one of the co-defendants in, the, in, in both the Bundy Ranch and the Burns, Oregon cases. So we're going to talk about that. Um, that language is really important because there's power there, and uh, it, that really is the bigger story here with regards to what went down. Uh, not only in Oregon, but back in Bundy Ranch, uh, probably a little bit with Sugar Pine and some of the other stuff, and and who knows what's coming next. So there really is a lot more to the story uh, about what really happened at the the wildlife refuge out there in Burns. We've been just kind of scratching the surface, and as the weeks and the months unfold and all of that, I think that both Melvin Lee and Mark McConnell are correct in the messages that they themselves have put out there that... Um, many people are going to end up reevaluating their participation and their support for a handful of reasons, not just, again, not just from the Oregon incident, but from all the others and whatever may still be to come. So before I bring McConnell on and get going on everything, let me set up the show proper for the listeners uh, like I try to do each week. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news. And you can find me on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. For tonight's show, we are using the hashtag CTR, Oregon Standoff, and Bundy Ranch. All the stories that I cover, uh, if I do a written piece, which I most often do, Um, They can be found on the website, which is challengingtherhetoric.news, that is .news, not .com. If you'd like to call into the show, you can do that. Uh, I'll explain how the calls go, because there seems to be some confusion with some people. But um, the the number to call in is 646-787-1790. Blog Talk has a call-in number. It's there. It's published, whether I want it there or not. Um, I don't really... This isn't a listener call-in show. I'm bringing information. You have lots of different ways to communicate with me. Sometimes I take calls, but the problem with taking calls in the past has been that people inadvertently end up in the call queue when they're merely just trying to listen via their device uh, to the show. They have no intention of actually being on the show. And it's very uncomfortable for them, and then it's uncomfortable for me uh, when that happens. So... That's the main reason uh, that I just don't typically take calls. Now, there are some people that allegedly would like to get through on the phones, and as I've said every week uh, on their behalf, there is a protocol that I need you to follow. I use my real face, my real name. I speak to you as who I am, and I expect the same in return. And so in the chat room, on the show and call-ins, whatever the interaction may be, challenging the rhetoric is PG-13. So you need to be respectful of that. If you'd like to try to call in tonight, and if I get to it, all right, in the chat room, Sue Shugarts is the moderator of the chat room. Get her attention in there. Tell her your area code and give her your name and some context as to who you are and what you would like to ask me. Um, Now, you can call that screening calls or whatever, but that's going to be your best bet of getting a call through. Now, that doesn't mean that if you say some BS thing or whatever and get on, that I'm not going to dump you right back out if you're just being belligerent. I'm open to dialogue, not not debates, not, uh, you know, arguments. I could care less about all these varying nitpickety high school game, you know, crap stuff that's been going on. So, you know, like I said, if you want to call, that's what you need to do. Uh, find Sue in that chat room. The same rules apply in the chat room, folks. That means you need to be respectful of one another, of me, of my guests, of my moderator, um, you know, If you cannot be civil to one another, I will take you out of the chat room as well um, because then you're nothing but a distraction to the show as a whole. So if you are listening to an archive, however, you are not going to be able to get through on the phones at all or the chat room, uh, you know, obviously it's only a live chat room for the show. if you're looking for the chat room, it is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. Click on show number 29, which should be right at the top. The chat room will appear right underneath that slider. If you're already on the page and you don't see the chat room, hit refresh and then scroll down. Um, I cannot guarantee that Blog Talk Radio, uh, chat, it's their chat room. It's, I have no control over when it has glitches and stuff like that. So if the chat room goes down as a whole, uh, that would be why. I have lots of problems with Blog Talk Radio, but it's superior for other reasons, and that's why I use it. So that's pretty much, you know, how, you know, the setup for the show. And I want to go ahead and I just want to get right to it, and I want to get Mark on here because, like I said, I want to start off so that we can just get it done and over with and then move on to the more important things, recapping what has happened since he was on here last. Um, Mark, thanks so much for coming back to the show.
1: Thanks, Sherry, for having me back on.
2: I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, feel, I don't want to hound you because I know you're busy, but, um, you know, and so much has happened since you were on the show that has kept us all a little busy. But um, so, you know, Mark, I I put out the last thing uh, that I hope to have to write on the subject of Shiloh Ryder, Molly Dun powell um, And really her ire towards me sprung from you and Melvin coming on the show particularly you more so than Melvin, she's got a beef with you for whatever reason, which became a beef with me. And so it went into this big old thing to the, to the extent that she you know, she goes out there claiming to a lot of people who then perpetuated her claim in, in this coordinated effort to frame me and the Oregonian reporter Les dates for a shooting that never happened. Now, the documentation's out there uh, it's up on script. it's linked in the articles. There is absolutely no question that the woman lied um, and you took a lot of backslack uh from that. Can you kind of tell the listeners how how that was for you?
1: well i mean once she once she started putting that out there, you know then I started getting hit with different messages that because I was on your show, um uh, the different you know different people were getting death threats and and so on and so forth. Not only was it her you know, but it was also Sarah Buck that, you know, were allegedly getting all these threats because I was on your show.
2: Did they ever show you proof of any threats?
1: No, no. I've asked for them numerous times. You know, I've asked for screenshots. I've asked for uh, something, you know, give me something so that I can handle, you know, anybody that's on my side that would do something like that, which I, I seriously doubt there was going to be on my side that would do it. And I've been yet to be provided with anything.
2: Now, it, 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 had you been provided something and it was somebody that was attached to you or whatever, you would have handled it, right? I mean, what, what would you have done to, 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 to take care of it, to be responsible well, I mean, there's, as the leader? There's
1: different ways that there's different ways of handling it. You know, I could have went right directly to the person, which is typically the first step I would have done, and then if that wouldn't have worked, uh, I'm not one bit afraid to put something like that right there on Facebook. I've done it with people that have threatened me, and I don't mind if, if I put up there on somebody else either. You know, if one of my people had done something like that, it would, have, of course, been handled.
2: So, okay, so when, when, when Sarah was talking about getting the threats, Molly kind of capitalized on it's almost as if, and I'm not blaming Sarah at all for this, but because Sarah claimed that, it's almost like shortly thereafter Molly kind of ran with that for her own story. Now, there is the sheriff's log of her call. Mm-hmm. Um, she did call. Uh, And I've corrected from the last show I did on her when I said that, oh, there was no 911 call, there was no cops or whatever. There was a call. um, But just like Sarah wouldn't provide you proof of these threats that she was claiming uh, as a result of you being on the show, Molly wouldn't prove any of her allegations or claims. And, in fact, when she felt pressed after I spoke with the sheriff's office, um, and they told me absolutely none of that was real, um, her sheriff that, that responded to her call, she suddenly had come out with a little corner snapshot from her phone or whatever of what she said was the sheriff's report, the incident report of this. And as people like Lazaro Isonaro are out there claiming on her behalf, and as well as she did that there is an actual ongoing investigation, and, and then her going on Mike Sorora's show and you know, choking up and, you know, I mean, give the woman an Oscar already. But, you know, so so, but what that snippet turned out to be, because now I have the actual document, the actual sheriff's log for anybody to actually read, I don't know that they would click and read because they couldn't take, you know, less than five minutes to actually make a phone call like I did to the sheriff and verify it themselves to begin with um, before they ran with all this specious stuff. But it, what, it, what it turned out to be is exactly what I had said and as I had reported, and that was that... They literally, in the document, have her labeled as, in Cop Talk, SIG-20, which is cuckoo. I mean, it's a mental health issue. And um, they did not take anything she was saying seriously. Uh, they did, she did not appear to them to be credible in any way. They found zero evidence whatsoever of her claim. She's been on social media, and, and her friends and followers have reported on social media um, bits and pieces of the the story you know, via her. That involve her children and stuff like that, but it's different on that. And then, lo and behold, I was shocked the most in reading this actual sheriff log when it mentions her spouse because she is a widow, and her boyfriend is living in California, who claimed all this time that he was in California at home when she said this incident happened to her in Florida. Now. I can understand so much more why she would never provide anything on other than that little snippet corner with a with a number uh knowing that none of these people that were going to bat for her would actually follow up and and verify it including her boyfriend and so you know If she's got someone there close enough to her that is being listed as her spouse, well, no wonder she didn't want, you know, her guy to to see it. You know, so that made a whole lot more sense to me. I mean, she's got to totally cover her ass on that because that goes deeper than just trying to screw me and, and or less dates or anyone else over because that's rocking her boat, right? So, what you know it seems relatively quiet now with her particularly since I put out that document um Are you still taking any kind of flack from this from any 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 realm not just from her
1: oh yeah i still I still have my my constant uh fan club yeah i, I did a i did a matter of fact i did a spoof video last night on one guy and uh you know, it's over on his page, and I mean, you can watch, you can read the reactions on his page. Where I mean, and that's what you're dealing with. But you know, other than that, I mean, I've got probably, I don't know, six, eight people that are still, uh, you know, still hanging on all this time later.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got about, I want to say a little more than a dozen of people that still want to try to. You know, screw around and stuff like that. I, I want to talk about uh, a couple people, particularly uh, for a very specific reason. Um, one, I want to talk about somebody, a YouTuber that goes by Chaos View Archive. Um, he did something, I believe he did it today, with mm-hmm. a woman named Pamela who has her own YouTube show somewhere. I don't know her. And the first 20 minutes of it are primarily about me or to do with me but it also talks about you in Melbourne. and suddenly chaos who's done many things about you he's been one of the main people who thinks he's proven in some way that you were a fed or something right i mean he's got it's it's like he's got you linked in every video of his because that's like been his thing and suddenly in this video it's almost like oh, you're not so bad, right? But I'm still like the evil, wicked witch kind of, you know. I mean, he says that, you know, Melvin's video that Melvin put out last night was, that Melvin said that he doesn't agree with almost everything that I say, which is not true. Melvin said that him and I don't agree on many things, but we also agree on many more. Um, but it's, like, it's funny how they kind of pick and choose what they, what they want to say. Now, Chaos has right. used some of my stuff. What I want to talk about with regards to what Chaos put out there, because I think that what he did in this thing today with Pamela for the most part was actually relatively decent and i and i want to give him some kudos but i want to i want to take note with um with the two of them about something that seems to be like really freaking people out and that's the fact that i have said multiple times on my show um that i have uh you know that i talk to Seth all the time you know And now, it would be really dumb if I didn't say that for all these new people that are suddenly kind of creeping over my pages and stuff, because they've been on my show many times before I was covering the Oregon standoff. And for those that actually want to go and look at the archives and listen to the archives, or at least read the descriptions of the archives and who's on the show, they will see that I've had you know, former CIA and former FBI, including like newly former, just months out of twenty five years of service, um, you know, that I have Mark Zay, the national security attorney for the United States of America, on my show all the time. Now what they apparently are missing and Pamela it was almost funny, and i and, and again I'm not insulting her, I don't know this woman at all, but the questions that she was saying is like, oh my God, this is that's just so weird because you know, they must be doing something wrong or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, really, I think that most journalists, most real reporters, go outside of Google, okay? And I I would like them to please tell me who that is a real journalist and a real reporter doesn't have sources that they go to for terminology so it's appropriate four timelines on somebody that was a part of a case like for instance richard barlow who was the whistleblower on the pakistani Newt case okay and the in the first george bush um you know presidency so it, it's like you know and then i have bobby chacon fbi dude that comes he i mean he's the technical director of the show criminal minds uh the the new border one and he comes on my other show that's about childhood sexual abuse you know as an expert because he was the head of the dive team of, of digging out cadavers, you know, in the, in the water, and many of those were children. So it's funny because they have this weird perception that there's something nefarious about the fact that I am connected to, because I'm a journalist, <laughs> uh, people. I, I also want to give Chaos a little bit of credit. Uh, he did get that right. I have been uh, in corporate media more uh, than 20 years prior to leaving corporate media, so basically my entire adult life, until the last, several years uh when i walked away from it all to do my own thing because i have a lot more integrity than the corporate media so now chaos has torn you apart did you get a chance to hear what he had put out today i know i sent it to you earlier but i know you were also busy so
1: i listened to it for a little while uh i don't really pay much attention to it. i mean the, the dude did almost two hours worth the videos on me and at the end of the right. day he figured out that i drive a truck um you know, I don't really pay much attention. Because, like I said, I mean, I, you know, referencing back to that spoof video I did, <clears throat> that spoof video's got almost 800 views. So, me doing a spoof video gets more views than what this guy's news channel gets. So,
2: what?
1: I don't really waste my time with him. You know, yeah, I mean, it's and like with mostly, a lot of the uh, stuff.
2: A cat meme.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the, you know, a lot of the stuff he did, it's like, you know, where I went up to Cow's on Facebook the other day. You know, his idea of journalism was sitting in front of his computer with his phone and video on my Facebook page. So, you know, he through. keeps That's tagging he with
2: my articles, which is plagiarism.
1: Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, he keeps tagging me and stuff because the bottom line is he's he's trying to use me to raise himself because he doesn't really know what he's doing. I don't know if he's, you know, new. I don't know if he's incompetent. I don't know what his real issue is. Um you know, but he's trying to he's trying to jump his career off of my name.
2: You know, that that's an excellent point, Mark, and that's a perfect segue. Um, that, that was great, actually, brilliant. Thank you, because I think that that is part of, and again, I I mean no offense by this to those that will ultimately listen and have a beef with what I'm saying, but because um, they know who who they are when I'm talking about them. So many of these people have gone out there primarily in the last three weeks or so, and. Um, You know, like I mentioned before, I wrote an erotic poetry book, and suddenly they thought they had an aha moment, and they had that everywhere. All they did was increase my sales and my my Amazon ranking. I mean, they were getting ready to put me on a bestseller list (laughs) for a little tiny erotic poetry book, you know. Um, Just like their aha moment that they thought they had with you in the chat room the night that you were on, but that's stuff that's already available to the public by looking at your wall, Um, you know, they – What I have really discovered is most of these people in some way are connected to or attached or bred from Pete Santilli's show. Um, And some of them are huge fans, and some of them are people who hate him for whatever reason, some of which is because they've worked Mm. with him or for him or whatever. So another thing I want to clarify with regards to Pete Santilli, I never worked for the Pete Santilli show. I did some writing that Pete Santilli allowed me to use a platform that paid me to do so. And the only reason that I did that was the agreement that Pete and I had, and that was I could do my own stories, not the bullshit stuff that he was trying to have me write. Because the platform, which was before it's news, is not a platform that I support, because there's a lot of bullcrap on there. Okay? And So in order for me to have my name under that masthead, I knew that my stories that I put up there needed to be legit. They needed to be tight because I was going to take a ding for doing that. Now, Pete allowed me to do that because Pete was in need of a friend at that time because he had some real personal stuff going on with Susanna slash Deb Jordan at that time. And, again, this is not an insult to her. But speaking of Pete, I want to play this little – it's less than two minutes. I want to play this little clip. This is from October 30th of 2014, six months after the Bundy Ranch incident. Um, As I've said many times, uh, Pete was talking on the show about how that was his very first industry event, and it was like he was on fire for Christ. He was so excited, and he was so uh, incited as well uh, by what he felt and they felt they had accomplished unbeknownst to them there had been this ongoing investigation. So six months after it, Pete had begged me to come on his show. When I say he begged me to come on his show, I'm not saying he was grogling. You people take words in you, like make them whatever the hell you want to make them. Pete actually, at least at this time, okay, he actually really liked what I do. Okay? He used me as a source, my reports, a lot of times. When I went on his show... It was not too long after I first started challenging the rhetoric. Again, this is back in October 2014. I had just started the show just a couple weeks before it. So here's just a little tiny clip because I think that this is important for all those people out there that love and or hate Pete, that suddenly want to conjoin and attack people like Mark or people like me or people like Les because they think they're doing a worthy, worthy cause. Let's hear what Pete really had to say about me.
0: We're all trying to form an opinion and learn in this extremely fast uh, social media environment, uh, what advice can you give somebody right now, just on top of probably reemphasizing what you just said, what advice can you give people as to how they can say, man, what is the truth? How do I dig to the truth? Uh, How can I form this opinion based on, you know, make it a well-informed opinion? What advice can you give them?
2: I think most people, when they open a headline or or watch news, that they already have a preformed opinion. They already have a bias. And so what I would tell everybody is to challenge self, try to prove your own opinion wrong. And when you do that you will find much closer to the truth, if not the actual. Wow. And when you are trying to disprove your own self versus collect everything to prove mm. to prove yourself, then that's where you're gonna be able to check yourself That's oh when you gonna be able to say, okay, wait a minute. Listen.
0: Listen, you know what? I, we're not going to end on this note. There's no way. Uh, can, can you stay with me uh, into the next segment? Do you mind? No,
2: that's fine. You sure? Yeah, that's great.
0: I know you're I know you're on your cell phone. I want to make sure you have enough battery life. If you can, th- that'd be great because uh, I've got a couple other things that I need to, I want to talk to you about. Uh, I'm with Sherry Roberts. That advice that was just given right there, uh, I'm going to personally use it myself. Um that that is a great, great philosophy. We've been trying to teach our listening audience, you know, don't just like Bill Cooper said, trust absolutely nobody. Listen to and read everything you can get your hands on, and only believe that which you researched yourself. Now, how are you gonna do that research? She just gave you great advice, she just gave me great advice as to how I can prove my own theory and my own opinion wrong. That's awesome advice. We'll be right back with Sherry, right? Right after the top of the hour.
2: That should settle up quite a few things, and it's too bad that Santilli didn't actually genuinely take my advice like he said he was going to. See, everything I've said about Santilli, I've said to his face. Everything i said to Santilli when the Oregon standoff thing happened and since, I have already previously said to his face long ago. Santilli is my friend in the sense of I don't have a beef with him personally like so many people that like Suzanne Posel or Vinnie Eastwood or others that go after him and call him fed and all of that. I, don't have, I never had that kind of a thing. Now, I'm not, Sanfili is in no way, shape, or form any kind of a journalistic hero to me, okay? My dealings with Pete were much more on the level of, as I've said, time and again, he had a really hard point in his life, and for whatever reason, he glommed on to me, not the other way around. So I want to put all of that stuff to bed, Mark, because I I really want to talk about cows. I want to talk about the Coalition of Western States. Unless there's anything else you want to say about these people and the things that they've done. No, I'm good. Okay. So so okay, so let's let let me let me get this one right out the get go because then we can kinda of go further back in the timeline and move forward in it. Because this is going to be a little kinda of loosey goosey right here, uh how how we go about this part of the conversation. There was a time that you met with Michelle Fiore, is that correct?
1: Correct. Yes, you, when I come can back you from
2: talk about when that was and what that was about and all of that and then we'll kinda of go from there.
1: Yeah. When I came back from Oregon the second time I had Ammon's briefcase, uh, his hat and his monogram Bible in my Jeep when I, it was, it was still in my Jeep when I got my Jeep back. Uh, I wanted to return that to the family, you know, Lisa would be a couple of hours in the, in the wrong direction for me. So, you know, with me having to come back down through and go through Vegas, I got a hold of uh, Jonathan's piece to either be the, either hand it off to him or hand it off, you know, right there at the Bundy ranch. So as I come back as I come back down, you know, Jonathan, um, you know, we were talking back and forth, and he originally wanted to meet me in Mesquite, but we ended up meeting on, on uh, I-15 right now, at an old Nevada scale house. And, uh, you know, I handed it off to him, and you could tell that he was hemming and hawing, and he was pausing. You know, you could tell that he was dragging his feet with this whole get-together. Next thing you know, here comes Michelle Fiore. Well, Michelle shows up. You know, and she's, she comes out of her truck and I mean, she's, well, she's Michelle Fiore, and, uh, you know, she started asking me questions, which to me, I'm the kind I, of, you know, I, I treat most people that if I don't owe you anything, I don't owe you anything. And she believed that apparently I owed her something, you know? So the conversation didn't go well. And I ended up leaving everything with Jonathan and I went back to my Jeep and I left
2: Did this is kind of an odd question, but kind of what was your lasting like what was the grime left on you after that? I mean what was your lasting impression there what was your take Michelle
1: was? Fiore to me michelle fiore is is she's someone that's trying to uh gain power, and all she does is she she seems to me like she's someone that more or less she's trying to take the pulse of something and then ride on that bandwagon i don't feel that she's genuine i don't feel that um you know, I don't feel that she's righteous in what she does, in her actions, in anything. So,
2: with with Fiore, you, okay. So let me let me let me say this to the listener. I know for a fact, uh, and it's a guest that will be coming on in the next, I believe, next week, um, if if that mm-hmm. works out for both of us. But we've been trying to do this for a few weeks, but um, I have a guest that will be coming on in one of the upcoming shows that is going to discuss uh, some Bundy Ranch stuff, somebody that was there. Now, they did not arrive until after the actual big face-off with BLM and the other feds. Uh, However, what's important about their message is that when they were in transit, they actually were given Michelle Fiore's cell phone number and spoke with Michelle Fiore on that cell phone number, and Michelle Fiore guaranteed them safe passage in and out of Bundy Ranch. Now, this was militia people, um, and so she, people that think that maybe she wasn't in as deep then, uh, that she grew into those pants or that bra or whatever the mm-hmm. hell, um, no, she was that deep already. So, um, you know, that, that's an interesting thing. So with regards to Fiore, now Ryan Payne told Sheriff Ward uh, unequivocally that, that Sheriff Ward didn't understand Okay. He he didn't say this in, in just an asshole way. It was like really trying to make the sheriff understand that he didn't understand that there were very powerful political people behind this. Now that was not something that was just said to Sheriff Ward, was it Mark?
1: No, that was something that was um, something that was going around up up there too, or up there at the refuge. You know, every time that we would question myself or or Melvin, every time we would question, you know, what are we actually doing here? What's the goal, what's the objective? You know, or I would start getting into, um, you know, trying to get people out of here. You know, we need to move to private property. We need to go back to the courthouse, what have you. Because, you know, there again, we did have that vote. Um, We just kept being told, you guys don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You know, we kept hearing that. We kept hearing how, you know, there again, using those words, there was, you know, high profile political people behind this that were backing this. So that's why we couldn't make any headway on anything.
2: So can you, are you comfortable with, with talking about uh, a couple, uh, like the, kind of the tiers of the leadership, and what tier was that verbiage coming at you and others from?
1: Well, that, that, that right there, that was coming from Payne. That was coming from, uh, I heard it from Ryan Bundy. You know, we heard it from John Ritzheimer. But I don't think John, you know, I don't think John really knew. I think that's what John was being told as we were.
2: I, you know, I have Jason a feeling Patrick. that I don't. I don't want to insult John, but he seems, on one hand, um, when it comes to like managing him, it seems much more difficult than him easily feeding into something or buying into something. Um, it's almost a childish thing, and and I don't know the man. You know the man, uh, but that is the impression that I and a lot of the general public got. All dildos and all that other stuff aside, just. His persona is he's like in everything's a conspiracy conspiracy theorist in a sense um, so when when john when someone like John is saying that, I feel that it's a little bit different than when someone like Ryan Payne or Ryan Bundy is saying that. Do you kind of agree or do you understand what I mean by that?
1: Yeah, I think that you know john was <clears throat> John was being told the same things we did, you know um, that John. You know, I love John. John, he, he put his heart into that up there, and he believed what they were saying. The problem was they weren't being honest with everybody, up to and including right. John.
2: So, you know, I wrote, I wrote a story uh, several weeks or month or whatever ago uh, that was called Was Pete Santilli Everybody's Perfect Posse? And people flipped out at the title alone, thinking it was some sort of an insult, if they actually would have taken the time to read it, they would have seen that it's an actual important article with an important message that they seem to all be missing, and that's part of the message that we're talking about tonight. And I believe it applies to John as much as it does Pete Santilli, and that is that that John Ritzheimer was also in a sense a Pappy, and a Pappy is the fall guy, the one that they want to push it off onto. We know they had a list of what would be potential crimes. We know that that they geared certain people to do certain things so that some people would be in their mind or hopes you know uh, exonerated from, so to speak, so can you talk on that a little bit because i, I feel and i don't know john mm. and and I think that John made many of the most public mistakes, however, uh, with a with a logical you know a key, a kiss a keep it simple, stupid um, approach to this I, I there's an immaturity there that. He's he's a very much a follower, um, and not necessarily the right thing. So when you have someone like that, like Pete Santilli, there's a very commonality there. That that is when I talk about cults and cult followers and stuff like that. Can you kind of relate to that with John?
1: John, yeah, there. I mean, with John, you know, <clears throat> John believes in the in the mission, just like I believed in the mission. Uh, I think where the difference came in is I could see that there was something wrong and John was taking them on full face value. You know, when we're dealing with stuff like that and you're listening for, you know, you listen and you start hearing certain things you have to question. But with a lot of what I feel was the outside string pullers uh, up there, they treated these people like they were disposable. And I see someone in the chat room use that phrase too. Um, You know, John just John followed it because John believed in the mission.
2: What was John like from the religious aspect before um, his dealings with the Bundys?
1: That I don't know. I don't know what uh you know what John's religion was or if he was religious. Um, you know I was with him in October for the uh, mosque protest here in Phoenix. But, you know, the, the, really the discussion as far as our own personal religions never came up. That would, You know, that would bring more awareness towards that mosque.
2: Well, speaking of religion, and we're going to kind of jump around here, we're going to get off John for a second. <clears throat> I want to jump over to Ryan Payne because in some of our previous conversations, and, and I've I've been very candid about this uh, to the listeners, that you and I have spent hours uh, over the course of at least the last month, I guess, um, talking Um whether on the phone or online, and,
1: um,
2: you know, talking specifically about cows. But with regards to Ryan Payne, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a public story uh, from both O.P.B. and the Oregonian that Ammon Bundy had made uh, a quick little day trip to his home, to his wife's home, uh, to see his wife and kids suddenly uh, from the refuge. And that was like the day before um, <clears throat> their arrest and the LaVoy shooting. You were the driver. You were with them there. And with regards to religion, uh, there was something that you had conveyed to me. Do you mind conveying that to the listeners with regards to the differences between Ryan Payne and M and Bundy?
1: Well, it wasn't really – I mean, it, as far as I know, it's not really a big secret. But Ryan's religious – you know, Ryan's Jewish. And Ryan has a much different belief system than what the Bundys themselves do. You know, and that did that did cause – Kind of an internal conflict between them. You know, Ryan believes. Right. Uh, you know, Ryan believes more into that if we can get rid of the government, period, that people will just live in in harmony. You know, that we'll have more or less a uh, an uto- a utopian society.
2: He's like a militia hippie. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, kind of. Okay, which is yeah. which is vastly different from Amon Bundy. Now Amon Bundy had been on the record also in, in his press conferences of saying that, you know, him and him and Ryan were in tune. Okay. They had no problems. They didn't even need to discuss things. They were on the same page. Do you truly believe the two were completely on the same page?
1: No. No.
2: Now can can you explain to the listeners uh, about your your um relationship or your interactions uh, and knowledge of Ryan Payne prior to the Oregon standoff, Mark?
1: Well, in prior to Oregon, you know, Ryan and I talked quite a bit because of the border ops and stuff down here, you know, and he wanted to start setting up, uh, you know, more or less uh, a militia training camp down here to not only to help us with the border, but to train a lot of these guys, because most of these guys that are run
2: Is his group, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mark, is his group, um, Mm -hmm. See, look, look to the listeners that freak out when I interrupt. <laughs> hey, Mark, is his group just so the listeners know to pr- perspective? Since last time you were here, uh, you and Melvin helped the listeners understand the differences between the groups. What kind of what group does Ryan specifically uh, adhere to? Is, is he is he um, OMD?
1: Yeah, Ryan ran OMD, which is Operation Mutual Defense. It started out Operation Mutual okay. Aid, and then after the Bundy Ranch, they switched to Operation Mutual Defense.
2: And and just like there was kind of a hierarchy at Mellier, there's also hierarchies within these different militia groups, including OMD, right? Correct. And and Ryan where on that hierarchy? Very top. Okay. So that's really important for the listeners. Whether you're one of the YouTubers that are looking for some chicken scratch or whatever, you're scratching up way the wrong places, but I keep giving you places to look. So okay, go ahead, Mark. Continue on that on that train of thought.
1: On which one? You went through a couple. Okay,
2: hey, well, you know, Ryan, and and what your your interactions and and the duration of the time that you knew him, blah blah blah. Prior to well, the like I said, after
1: after the ranch, Ryan and I talked uh, sometimes fairly frequently, sometimes not. You know, not for a month or two. Um, you know, we were starting to build plans for for border ops. You know, and. Uh, Then I think it was early December, Ryan got a hold of me about actually coming to Oregon, you know, and we went back and forth a few times and, uh, you know, he wouldn't tell me what he wanted me up there for. I'm just not driving a thousand miles just for, you know, just for nothing. You know, I mean, I did the second time because I didn't really like the situation up there to begin with, you know, um, Ryan just got, he's got some pretty funky views. You know, like I said, he believes that if we just get rid of the government, that we'll all just live in perfect harmony.
2: That simple, right? Just that simple. Like if I was, I dream of Janie, I'm showing my age, but I could just like, you know, (laughs) blink or whatever. (laughs) Um, So with regards to Ryan's relationship with Ammon, there were times, uh, although you were only there briefly a couple times, but there were times – you know, that you guys were there together and you'd already previously had some somewhat of a relationship and knowledge of Ryan, um, so much so that the second time you went there was specifically because he kept heeding you to come. But with regards to the two of them, do you believe that they were as in sync as Am and Bundy claimed them to be?
1: No. No, they weren't <laughs> even close to being in sync. Do you
2: I think I mean, you that could that get was, around them and um, see that there was... Go ahead. <clears throat>
1: you could get around them and tell that there was something, something askew.
2: Did you ever experience yourself um, any kind of public conflict between the two of them?
1: No, there was never any public conflict, but you could just see, you know, you could see like with their interactions, you know, there was, there was just something, something, you know, sideways. Because Payne would interact with Ammon or with Ryan different than what he would interact with me, or, you know, Jason Patrick or really anybody else who's up there.
2: Okay, so um we're gonna we're gonna kinda skip skip again. Um let's go to January seventh and I have uh we we've spoken about this before on the show. I've spoken about it that date on the show uh even when you were not on the show. Um it's a pivotal date in in my opinion and I think also in yours. Um, the day before Uh, or on on that day, on January 7th, was the day uh, that it was, you know, all over the news when Ammon met with David Ward, the sheriff, the Harney County Sheriff David Ward, and they had their big handshake, you know, and their little conversation on camera and all of that, and David Ward had urged Ammon uh, to take his people and go. Ammon had said he would think about it, and they were supposed to meet the next day. Now, you were at the refuge at that time, or you you were in Burns, at that time you did mm-hmm. not stay at the refuge you had a motel um and right. i think that was a silver spur motel or something same place until everybody else was staying but um no so go ahead
1: no i stayed at the america's best end
2: okay even better um so when um on that day you had been there melvin was there as well at that time correct Yes. Okay, so you and Melvin Lee were there. You had gone down, uh, you had a purpose to, to be there, which we've discussed, the woman, the baby, the da-da-da, um, which is what brought you there the, that first time. Now, your interactions with people at the refuge and and people that were in burns, you know, people like, you know, uh, PPN and whatnot, you were trying to get people to leave. And you, in fact, uh, were successful at getting many people to leave. Because of what you were doing and the language you were speaking at the Refuge, Ryan Payne called a meeting, is that correct, on January 7th?
1: Correct. Do you want now, me to start where from the was beginning? the
2: leadership? Huh?
1: Well, Am- Ammon, Ammon Lavoy and Ryan Bundy, I believe they were up in HQ. We had the
2: meeting over in the Chow hall. Now, HQ, for the listeners that are not all up on, on, on all of this, um, HQ was the manager's office of the refuge, and the Chow Hall was uh, the kitchen of the refuge. Go ahead.
1: Correct. Yeah, Ammon or uh, Melvin and I actually drove Ammon and Ryan Payne to that sheriff's meeting. Ammon rode with me, and Ryan Payne rode with Melvin. Well,
2: so what and was the once we went when to When you left the meeting, which I think would be more important than the meeting itself.
1: The, once we once we were leaving there, you know, I asked him what you know, what the game plan was. You know, wh- where's the direction this? You know, and that's when he started talking about, you know, there was there was things going on, but he never really elaborated to that. And with me being a new guy, and really not wanting to get into those intimate details, the conversation kind of dropped right there.
2: Right. So did did. Did he speak, when when he left that meeting, when you were driving and you left that meeting and you were, you know, as driver in security at that time, did he at all, obviously he was caged with you, but did he at all express at that time that he was considering what the sheriff said at all?
1: No. No, there was not even any considering that.
2: Okay, so so everybody gets back to the refuge and it's that evening time and Ryan Payne's kind of pissed off at you guys, kind of, because... Mm-hmm. You know, you got a bunch of people that want to leave, uh, and he's blaming you guys for it. And so he thinks that he's going to somehow trump you by calling this meeting in Chow Hall while the leadership, which was Ammon Bundy, Ryan Bundy, and Lavoy Finicum, were in HQ at the manager's office. So Ryan Payne, am I right so far? Yes. Okay, so Ryan Payne calls this meeting in Chow mm-hmm. Hall. And this meeting was uh, an hour or so, is that correct?
1: Yes, I'm along those lines.
2: So in this meeting, basically, uh, you guys kind of laid out blah, 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 and there was a vote, and it was a pretty much a unanimous vote that people wanted to leave. Correct?
1: Correct. Yes, Ryan now, Ryan it, wanted to
2: have...
1: Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Ryan wanted to have that vote because after we got back there that day, myself, Melvin, uh, Ryan, and Jason Patrick... You know we kind of had a uh an in-depth discussion because from our perspective the tuesday night this this was on the seventh but on the night of the fifth i believe it was you know greg weldon took this this issue to the to the floor of the house of of representatives so that right there to us was the start of the redress of grievances you know but their uh, their opinion was to um you know that they wanted to stay there until everything was completed like you know they almost had this there was almost this mentality that somebody in the government was just going to wake up and go, "Wow, guys, we've been interpreting the Constitution for two hundred years wrong." And they thought that you know that if they stayed there, that's what would happen. You know, but the night of the fifth, when when Greg Weldon took that to the floor, I believe that's the guy's name, when he took that to the floor, that right there to me, was the start of the redress of grievances. you know and in our opinion, um, you know, if we stayed there we were going to lose that traction because at that point in time, we were already starting to get this, you know, get it into basically being, uh, you know, a reality show up there, you know, so we were trying to keep the momentum. So we were trying to talk to people and especially Payne and, and Jason Patrick and tell them, you know, this is on the floor. We need to move now. You know, we need to move to private property. We need to move to the Hammond's ranch. We need to move back to the courthouse and turn this back over because if not, the focus is going to be on this and we're gonna lose whatever traction we've got. Okay. Payne kept, you know, right Payne got on the whole thing that no, 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 you know, Payne got on the whole thing, no, 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 that you know, this is what we need to do. No, it's not. You know, and different different guys who were milling around at the refuge were listening to what we were saying, and it was making sense to them. You know, and then we did get into discussions that you know, if law enforcement or something comes in here, you know what are you guys going to really do? Because you're not prepared for a war. You're not prepared for this. You know, you don't have the logistics, you don't have supplies, you don't have the training. You don't have this. You know, so a lot of the guys that that were there, they started to swing the, you know, started to swing in their mind that if we turned this back and turned it into, you know, went to private property or went to the courthouse and took care of the weapons, that they would be back aligned with that. So Payne thought he was going to trump me. So he, he, called a meeting in the, in the chow hall. Um, you know, he went over his stance. Melvin spoke. There was another guy up there, I can't remember his name, that completely backed our play, and we had a vote. Everybody in that room, minus Payne, and a couple from Washington that we ended up figuring out they were just squatters, were the only ones that did not want to go. Everybody else unanimously voted to go now that night there when we had that vote there was approximately 30 people in that chow hall the next morning when we got back up there and that's when the issues arose between uh jason patrick with me and melvin there was about 10 guys left because everybody else started looking at it and going this really is a mess this is a cluster you know, this is
2: unorganized. No, pause t- t- a you know. moment, Mark. T- t- pause just for a second. Um, to to tell the listeners, um, again, because every every show um, there's listeners tuning in for the first time uh, that may not be up to speed on the story, everything that Mark is saying, and this, this is how you'd be a journalist, see, as you correlate each thing that your, your sources or your witnesses say. Now, all, over the past month or so that Mark and I have been copiously speaking together, um, I have, in part of my own vetting process, just one of many things is I have tested the veracity of things that he said on the timeline of stuff that's already out there on the media. And when he's talking about this particular night that we're talking about of the 7th and this meeting, that night about 20 people or so actually left. And there were reports out in all of the, the local Oregon media and some of the national media. That now that there were less than a dozen people left at the refuge, so now the listeners have actual context to how that happened and why suddenly there was this mass exodus. Go ahead, continue, mark
1: well, so then we like I said, when we got back up there on Friday, you know and and a lot of the guys left, um Jason Patrick wanted us stopped at the gate, you know, and he didn't want to let us in. Timer stopped us, he was up there um, you know, we talked to Timer for a while. And Rick wanted to let us in, but you know he's he's following orders. Uh, Jason ended up coming up. You know, Jason and I went at it. You know, Jason and I don't see eye to eye. You know, we don't agree on anything. But you so know, you're Jason's, Jason's rhetoric. Because
2: there's two. Well, correct. I, I want to be clear. You're talking about <clears> Jason, Jason Patrick. <throat> Patrick. There's two Jasons uh, that are that are uh, of the co-defendants. Code Is Jason Blomgren and Jason Patrick. So you're talking about Jason Patrick. Go ahead.
1: Jason Patrick. Correct. You know, and him and I didn't see eye to eye. And then he was, he was talking with Melvin and there could be, there was no, there was going to be no peaceful resolution there because there again, that's all we kept hearing is there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on behind closed doors that you guys don't know about. You guys, you know, Jason, Jason Patrick's like, you guys are screwing the, you know, the plans up. You guys are making a mess out of the agenda. And it's like, okay, well then what is it? Tell us what the plans are so that we can try to help here. You know, we can move things.
2: Okay. well we can't tell you. Again, I think, I think, I think what you're saying right now, I, I need to, like, um, you know, kind of highlight that. Again, we're talking the language about these particular people in this hierarchy um, that are kind of running the show while the the other three people are in HQ, okay, doing what I don't know what yet, and, and we're going to continue this conversation on, a, on another show to be able to start really delving into that uh, with some documentation. But... The thing is, is with um, these people leaving and with what you're saying and and all of this stuff, again, the veracity of it is incredibly important. So when when you're talking about uh, people and their agendas and why they want to go, why they want to stay and all of that, because we're running out of time, I want to skip forward just a little bit. Uh, The end result was a lot of people left that night, part of which is what has been where a lot of people that, you know, express their angst towards you, like you weren't supportive of the cause and blah, 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 because you were literally working, uh, you know, uh, fervently uh, to get people to leave because you did not believe, you know, that this was the right thing, especially people that were somehow connected to you. So I want to fast forward real quickly before we run out of time here. The second time you went to the refuge, it was because Ryan Payne kept asking you very kind of in his own weird covert way being very vague with you um, as you've conveyed to me would not express to you any reason why uh, intentionally he did not want to discuss anything on the phone and that brought you back the second time um, which is what and ultimately ended up you being Ammon's driver the night of the rest and Sinecum shooting so can you Explain to the listener uh, a little bit uh, for now, and then and we'll continue again later. But to the listener as this unfolds, what was it about what Ryan was saying to you that after, you know, a few phone calls over a period of a week or so that you jumped right back in your vehicle and drove all that way? And you drive all the time, so you don't want to drive, you know, arbitrarily if you don't have to, right? So. There was some urgency that you felt, whether he conveyed it in an appropriate way, but you were feeling an urgency that you needed to go back.
1: Well, I mean, it wasn't really an urgency. You know, I came home, and like Melvin said on your last show, you know, him and I actually did spend two days going back and forth going, do I go, do I not go? You know, what possibly could he want for, for me to be up there, you know? Um, right. You know, and Melvin and I, you know, we we finally came to the conclusion that, you know, I would go <clears> – <throat> See what, he, you know, see what he was up to. There was just, from the very beginning, there was just something wrong. And you could see it if
2: you were paying attention to it. Okay, pause, because, again, we're running out of time. So I want the listeners to think about what has been said thus far, and I want to fill in a couple little pieces real quick, which means I'm going to jump back to January 7th and when Mark was here the first time. That meeting that Ryan Payne called. Again, we're talking about Ryan Payne. That meeting that Ryan Payne called was important. Ryan Payne thought he had an ace up his sleeve and he was going to somehow rub Mark's nose into this and and, and win or whatever. But the people left um, because it was a clusterfuck, you know, and and they needed to get out of there, and that was the right thing to do. But what's really important about that is during this whole meeting, Ann and Bundy, Ryan Bundy, and LaVoy Finnegan were still in HQ. They were not aware of this meeting happening. Uh, and and what the result of it was until after the effect, what were they doing? Um, and and I, you got about 60 seconds, Mark. Uh, and again, I want to continue this uh, in in another show. But what, in your opinion, were they doing in HQ while you guys were having your other meeting?
1: I think that Ryan Ryan Bundy came out that day and said that in an article in an interview that they had interviews in route. I think what they were doing was trying to buy time because there again, you got to remember on January 9th is when the uh, phone conference was between Grassley and members of Cos?
2: Right, not just the phone conference, to... but many people had actually showed up. And one of those people is Anthony Bosworth, who technically, I believe, and I will, I will need to verify that, but I believe that Anthony um, Bosworth actually showed up on the 8th. He was the first one to arrive. Um, he has recently been charged with something unrelated to this, uh, a, a violent crime and uh, I want to delve more into that because what you're going to find out, all of you listening, for whatever reason you're listening, is, again, we are barely scratching the surface here, and it's not that anybody, not Melvin, not Mark, not myself, or anyone else that has little tidbits of details, it's not like we're trying to tease or trickle things out. We want to make sure that what we're saying, we have the appropriate documentation and facts behind us to back it up. Um, whatever we all think we know or whatever we legitimately know, it doesn't matter because everybody needs to vet their own. And so, Mark, when, when, when we're talking about the first time you were there and this meeting and, and what they were doing, it, it relates to me, uh, your second trip, um, when, when you went out that second time, and which ultimately, you know, led to the arrest and blah, blah, blah. So with that in mind, um, if there was something that you could tease all of the listeners as a whole, as people very diverse with about the importance of the real story that, that, that's still not out there in its entirety or stories, I should say, because there's at least two, if not three, what would that be?
1: Just, there, there was a lot more that there's a lot that people don't realize of what actually happened inside there, you know, um, there's a lot of people inside there that aren't talking. And the reason why they're not talking is because if they talk and they say something, then they're gonna go through the same things I did. Because as soon as I started saying something, oh he's a Fed. People are gonna people aren't gonna talk, you know, because of that. But there's a lot more that went on in there that people don't realize.
2: Right. Right. And, and and you know, I think I think being able to give them context to the stuff that they've heard in the media or in their own little research and stuff like that on social media and whatnot I think actually giving them context um, helps because it fills in some of those blanks. Um, I have about a minute left, so I'm going to go ahead and close the show. Mark, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to get to everything I wanted to get to tonight, so that means you have to come back again very soon um, because it's all very fluid. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Um, so thank here's you the for deal. Please on. check out. <laughs> thank you. Um, check out challengingtherhetoric.news. Um, and and, and go through the website and see what's there. And I encourage people that have somehow been turned on to what I'm doing, good, bad, or ugly, uh, to go back to stuff prior to the Oregon standoff. A lot of people are trying to say that I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that, but they're only basing it off of what they think or feel. They're feeling a lot of emotion here, as Melvin Lee keeps pointing out, um, about what they think I'm doing. The truth is, is that I don't think that the people that are in jail should be spending the rest of their life in prison. I don't. I've said that many times. Some of them need to spend some time there for lots of reasons. But we're going to get to all of those reasons why. Check out the website. I'm going to definitely be back next Wednesday, but I have a feeling we're going to schedule another show between now and then. There will be no uh, live SOS tomorrow, the the child sexual abuse show. Um, It will be a rerun tomorrow, and then we'll start fresh with that one again next month on uh, the first Thursday. Thanks so much uh, for listening tonight. I appreciate it. Please share the archive afterwards. The archive link is the same as the live link. And thanks again to Mark McConnell.